want to talk to you today about a wedding that Jesus went to. You know, Jesus believed in marriage. That's the first where he did his first miracle was at a wedding. But I'm going to show you today how at a wedding a real problem arose. And it is that setting where a mother, probably the most famous mother of all time, Mary, gave the greatest advice you can ever give to your child or to anybody. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you her advice today. Amen? Now, we don't worship Mary. Uh, we don't pray to Mary. But I'm thankful when that young teenage girl was visited by the angel Gabriel, who informed her she was going to bring forth the Christ child. And she said, how is this going to be? And he said, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And that holy thing conceived in you is going to be of the Holy Ghost. And this teenager said, be it unto me, according to your word, even though it's miraculous and even in the natural crazy, yet be it unto me. Amen? But that's not her advice. I'm going to give you her advice. So let's look today at John 2. We're going to read just a few verses on the wedding. And then I'm going to talk to you about Mary's timeless advice. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they don't have any wine. Jesus said to her, now you're going to think he's being mean, but he's not. Because who calls their mother woman? I have my little mother at my house Friday. She's 97. And if I called her woman... At 97, she would still whoop me. But we're not, he's not being mean. He's not being ungracious. Uh, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, let me paraphrase that for you. He's saying, mom, don't worry about it. I've got it. And when it's time, I'll move and I'll do a miracle. Amen. Now, verse five, his mother said to the servants, now I want you to read this out loud with me because here's her advice. Are you ready? Whatever he says to you, do it. I like that so much. I want to do it one more time. Let's try it because this is the best advice I can ever give you. And it's the best advice a mother can ever give her children. Let's try it again. Whatever he says to you, do it. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. And thank you for this incredible advice from this young mother who knew that the answer was in her son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just pray that today you will help us to live this out, not just hear it and not just be blessed by the message, but truly live it out, walk it out. Let it be a precept of our life. That whatever you say, that's what we do. That's how we solve our problems. That's how we walk through life. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, whatever he says, you better do it. Hmm. How many of you had a mother that gave you advice? Yeah, I mean, moms give advice, right? They, they can't help themselves. They're going to give advice. How many of you have a mom that's still giving you advice? How many of you are married and moved out and she's still giving you advice? 
Oh, look at this. All right. From time immemorial, mothers have been known to be advice givers. Now, I did a little digging and I pulled some examples out. Let me just give you some examples of mothers giving advice. One mother advised her son, always prepare early. Give yourself enough time so that you have peace of mind and you don't have to rush. Take it. In keeping with that advice, one man recalls his mom's words on being late. When you show up late, it tells people that you think your time is more important than theirs. And then he says, from then on, I made a point of always being on time and closed business deals because of it. Here's another one. A mother advised her daughter, actually, this was Halle Berry's mother, advised her daughter, before you do anything life-changing, call me. I like that. One popular singer writes that his mother quoted the Bible to him saying, bad associations spoil good habits. Be careful who you let into your life. Amen. He says that one piece of advice has saved me countless heartaches and I've never forgotten it to this day. Another mother advised her daughter, if you wouldn't want it published on the front page of the newspaper, don't do it. Amen. One very wise mother advised, don't marry somebody because of who you think you can turn them into. If you don't like who they are now, hit the track jack. And one last mother advised her daughter to put God first in everything you do and don't worry about boys till you finish your education. That's all good stuff. But I tell you again, the best advice a mother ever gave was what Mary told the servants at the wedding who were looking at a real problem. Whatever he says to you, whatever, do it. And that's the last recorded words we have of Mary. Those are it. Whatever he says to you, do it. And she's gone down in history saying those words. Powerful statement to leave the world as your last recorded statement. Amen? So I want to just take her advice. And I want to break it down a little bit. I want to talk to you uh, about three things or so that relate to this advice. First of all, I want you to notice that the first word in her advice is a word of total trust. Whatever he says to you. And whatever covers a lot of territory. Whatever he says to you. That is a, a, a word of advice that is loaded with total trust. Whatever, not with a few exceptions. She didn't say he's right most of the time. She said, whatever he says to you about this problem of being out of wine at the wedding, whatever he says to you, that's what I want you to do. That's what I advise you to do. And whatever he advises regarding all things, that's how we're to live. Whatever, it covers a lot of area, finances. Whatever he says about friendships, marriage, morals, ethics, forgiveness, Questions about life, eternity, your eternal soul, and on it goes. Questions about now and hereafter. 
Whatever he says to you about any problem you're up against, I guarantee you somewhere along the way, Jesus addressed it. And she said, whatever he says to you, that's what I want you to do. That's what I advise you to do. It's a word of great trust. Now, for the record, Jesus has a 100% success rate with his advice. His advice has never failed. Now, I don't know anybody in this world who doesn't have some advice they wish they could take back. How many of you have ever advised somebody something and you wish you could go back and say, you know what? I've got some other advice instead. But Jesus never dropped back and punted. Jesus never regretted advice that he gave because his, his advice was always 100% accurate and successful. Isaiah the prophet predicted that Jesus the Messiah would be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Now the first two names there could easily be combined to describe him wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. What do counselors do? They advise, they guide, they lead, they direct, they impart wisdom. And Isaiah said, the one coming who now has come, Christ Jesus, will be called a wonderful counselor. He will dispense counsel and advice that will always be right. Isaiah 28, 29 says, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He gives wonderful advice. He gives great wisdom. You cannot beat that statement. Can I read that again? This also comes from where? The Lord of hosts. What comes from him? He gives wonderful advice. He gives great wisdom. So that whatever he says to you, you can safely walk on that. You can safely walk that out, build your life on it. Even Jesus said, he that hears these sayings of mine, my counsel, my advice, on everything I just covered in the Sermon on the Mount, he that hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will compare him to a wise man who built his house, the foundation of his house, on a rock. And when the storms of life hit, and they always do, Nobody in here is exempt from the storms of life. Amen? We all experience them. They come from nowhere. They don't tell you they're coming. They strike us all. And Jesus said, it's like wind blowing, rain falling, and floods beating on the house. And the house represents your life. And Jesus said, he that hears these sayings of mine and does them, assimilates them into his life, and makes them a part of his lifestyle, when those storms hit, that house does not fall because it's built on the wisdom of the one whose advice you can always follow whatever he says to you, whatever he says to you, whatever he says to you about anything, you can do it. Amen. You can live it. You can walk it. You can stand on it. We're to build our life on it. Can I tell you today, he's not just my savior, he's my teacher. He's not just my savior, he's my counselor. He's not just my savior, he's my wisdom, he's my knowledge, he's my understanding, he's my guide in life, here and now. Jesus is who I follow. You don't say, well, Lord, come into my heart and be my savior and Lord, and then go follow Buddha or Muhammad or hugging a tree 
or trying to live a good life and, and earn points with God. No, when we say Jesus come into my heart, then we are to, we are to walk under his direction and wisdom and instruction pertaining to all things, all things. And next we see this wedding was by invitation only. Did you notice that? It says in verse two, Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now this, this carries a great truth about Jesus. Can I tell you what it is? He only comes where he's welcome. He will not come into your home. He won't force his way into your life without an invitation. Jesus and his mother got an invitation. And that's why Jesus went. That's a great truth that we've got to invite him. If if there's no place for Jesus in your life, then there won't be an opportunity for his counsel and there won't be an opportunity for his miracles. Because he'll never force his way. He's a gentleman. The devil will kick the door down, but Jesus will knock. Amen? The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and I continually knock. And if anybody hears my voice, now, now notice, he does, he makes the first move. He comes and he knocks on the door of our life. And it says, he that hears my voice, hears the knock and opens the door. There's the invitation. He'll knock, but he won't kick it down. We've got to invite Jesus in, not just to save our soul, but we've got to invite him into every problem we have. We've got to invite him into every issue, every, every dilemma, every need, every perplexity, every battle, every temptation, every struggle. We, we, we invite him in. We say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but you do. This is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. And Lord, I need the wisdom of God right now. That's why James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God for wisdom who gives to everybody liberally and abundantly. And he does not get on our case for asking him. He gives wisdom. He dispenses wisdom. And Jesus said, if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And you know that that means in the original language, I will restore him. I will come into his life. I'll restore his life. I will relate with him or her and they with me. In knowing Jesus, he begins to restore your life, the wreckage of it, the mistakes of it, uh, the regrets of it, the guilt of it. He, he comes into our life. When we invite him, we hear the knock, but we're the ones that have got to open the door. And when we invite him into the, our marriage, into our relationships, into our finances, into every aspect of life. That's when he comes in and restores us. He restores us. How many of you could stand some heavenly restoration? Come on. How many of you have got some things in your life that could sure stand being restored, healed, delivered, made right, uh, made whole? Amen. So we got to invite him in. We got to invite him in. He makes the first move, but we've got to invite him in. He was invited to the wedding. And if he hadn't been invited to the wedding, there wouldn't have been a solution to the problem that arose. But because he was there, there was a solution. Because an unexpected problem came up. It says, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any more wine. Now the wine running out in those days 
in weddings in those days, that was a big deal. And this, this was a reflection of mismanagement and poor planning. The wedding planner, bluntly, had blown it. They got a hold of a bad wedding planner somehow or another. And, and so the wine ran out, all right? And, and something needed to be done and fast because this was an embarrassment. This was an embarrassment. Uh, on the most important day of this couple's new life together, this, this glaring, embarrassing dilemma came up out of nowhere. What are we going to do? Well, Mary knew who to go to. And she goes to Jesus and just advises him of what he already knew. You know, when you say to Jesus, Lord, I, I really, really, really need some money to pay these bills. He doesn't turn to the father and say, I didn't know that. Do you know that? No, it says he knows what we need before we even ask him. So Jesus knew about it, but Mary came to him and she brought the problem to Jesus because she knew he's the best problem solver of all. How many of you believe that's true? Nobody can solve a problem like Jesus. Nobody can make it right like Jesus. Nobody can set you straight like Jesus. Nobody can heal your life like Jesus. Nobody can put you on the right path like Jesus. Nobody can get you where you need to go like Jesus. And so here we go. Running out of wine. I, I, when I was reading this, I thought, now there's a picture of real life. Running out of wine, a picture of real life. It illustrates those times when we experience a really painful lack or an embarrassing dilemma. Just like these young newlyweds, many of you here today have had a certain kind of wine run out of your life. And I'm not talking about wine you get at a liquor store. But it's a picture. You're lacking something important. There's an aching emptiness in your life. Uh, a loneliness with some of you. Uh, or a great need. And you don't know what the solution is. You're nonplussed. Where do I turn? What do I do? I don't have an answer for this. This area of my life, it's run out. What I really need in life has run out. I'll give you some examples. Maybe you need the wine of God's forgiveness because you're riddled with guilt about some sin in your life. And, and, and you need to remember what it's like to go to God and experience the wine of his forgiveness. Or it might be your marriage, the wine of love has run out and you're looking at your marriage and it looks dead to you and you're saying, what do I do? Where do I go? Do what Mary did. Take it to Jesus and whatever he says to you, do it. Amen. Or your kids have walked away uh, from the way that you raised them and, and, and you've lost the wine of confidence in God's promises. You know, I thought I raised them right. Thought I taught them right. How'd they go off like this? How'd I lose them like this? I can't believe they're out there doing what they're doing. What am I going to do? It's breaking my heart. Where's your promises, God? You, you've run out of confidence in his promises, but I tell you, the place to get it back is the giver of the promises, Jesus Christ himself. Or here's one that I know is right. You're just flat weary of the demands of life and the wine of joy and happiness has faded away. 
You, you don't laugh like you used to. You don't feel joy like you used to. You're not waking up with a zest in your step anymore. You wake up and you're dragging through the day. And I want you to know that just because the wine of joy and happiness has run out doesn't mean you can't get it refilled, replaced. It depends on where you go with it. It depends on what you do with it. You can fellowship with your sorrow or you can go to the Lord and fellowship with him about it. Casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Psalms 55, 22, roll your burden onto the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, the wine of God's peace will come and guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. When the wine runs out, go to the one who gave it to you in the first place. There's no better place to go when you've got a problem than to Jesus and his word. Here's the word of God, 66 books. There's 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. You're holding a library in your hand when you hold this book. And this is the word of God. And I can't tell you how many times, how many thousands of times in my life, I have felt like the wine had run out of this, that, or the other. And I, and I went to this book and I opened up its pages. And instead of turning to a drug or to alcohol or to something else, now I went and got me a fifth of Ephesians. And then I chased it down with a few psalms and topped it all off with a proverb or two. And always, always it picked me up. Always it increased my faith. Always it gave me peace. Always it gave me direction. This book is a supernatural book. Look, the books of the world are instructional. Sometimes they're inspirational, but this book is transformational. It'll transform you like nothing else. So, so when the wine has run out, where do you go? You go to Jesus and you go to his word. Read the red. Read the red. Read the red ink. Read what Jesus said about worry, fear, doubt, money, morality, ethics. Read what he said about it. And then whatever he says to you. Do it. We see that the servants did exactly what Jesus commanded. Mary said, go to, go to him. So they go to him. And Jesus told them to do something that didn't make any sense. He, sa he said, nearby stood six water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Every one of them held 20 to 30 gallons of water. 20 to 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to the servants, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And I know what they were thinking. They were thinking, wait a minute, we don't need water. We need wine. But Jesus said, fill them with water. And that's 180 gallons. Now, I've done a lot of weddings in my life. But I have never been at a wedding where they consumed 180 gallons of anything. This was a happening wedding. But I want you to notice something. 
These containers were filled with water that was for ceremonial use. It was, it was, it was for washing your feet and hands before eating. And, it, and it's the way the Jewish people did weddings in those days. So it had to be pure and clean water. So I want you to notice Jesus performed his miracle in a clean vessel. If you want a miracle in your life, let Jesus wash your sins away first. Amen? All you need to pray is, please forgive my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And then you can expect the greatest miracle of all, the washing away of all of your sins. Now you're a candidate for the move of God. Then he told them, now draw out some of that water. Now they're thinking, well, we're just going to draw water out. What are we doing? But he, they, had, they were obeying whatever he says to you, do it. So they did it. So they got some scooper or whatever it is they used to draw it out and they, they drew it out. Now I want you to notice with me that Jesus' first miracle required the cooperation of people. Servants filled the jars. Servants drew out the new wine. Servants delivered it to the wedding. Servants put it on the tables. People became involved in the miracle. That's why there's no such thing as a pew sitter in a church. We're all supposed to be involved. We all have a gift. We're all supposed to be involved in setting the table, so to speak, where people are going to feast on Jesus Christ. So if you expect a miracle in your life, God will rarely do it without your cooperation. We've got to do our part by stepping out in faith. Are you hearing me today? Jesus said, all right, you, as long as you do what I say, you're going to see the miracle. If you don't do what I say, you're not going to see the miracle. So they, they filled them with water and then obediently they just, they scooped out what they thought was just going to be water, but something had happened to it. It was transformed. It was totally transformed. You need a miracle, you got to do your part. If you pray for a job, you got to go looking for one. If you pray for romance in your marriage, establish a dating night. If you pray for rain, get out your umbrella. Now the wedding with a problem closes with a miracle. When the master of the feast had tasted the water, the servants, they come and they poured, they poured this, this new wine into a goblet and the master of the feast who had had this terrible embarrassment tasted it. And here's what he said. He did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper Wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best till now. Whatever Jesus does, it's best. It's the best. It's the best. And so somewhere between pouring water into those water pots and drawing it out, a transformation happened. That water became something else. And you know what, folks? We become something else. When we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sin, come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord, we were one thing before we did that, now we're something completely different. We have been totally transformed, and it's best. It's the best. You're so much more likable now. You're so much more lovable now. I know I tell you this all the time, but my little mother, I picked her up in Dallas 
she's 97. I brought her all the way to my house. She walks on a walker now. Oh, and I got to tell you, on the way, she told me that she had become a, become a gambling addict. That's what she told me. I said, Mother, what are you talking about? I love bingo. And I said, well, how's that a gambling act? She says, every week we play bingo, Jeffrey. And I've got to put $2.50 in that pot. And I haven't won yet. And I said, mother, I'll know I'm in big trouble if you call me and say, Jeffrey, I need some bingo money. But she said, I make it back when I go play bridge because I always win at bridge. And I said, you're, you're betting at bridge too? And I said, how much is that? So I said, mother, you're popping my bubble. I'm going to have to tell my whole church you're an addict now. <laughs> oh, she's a sweetheart. But you know what? She'll be the first to tell you. Jeff was one thing. And then Jeff is something totally different. The water became wine. The bad became good. The lost became found. The blind became seeing. The dead came alive. He, he changes us. And that's why he did that miracle. To show that when you do whatever he says, transformation is coming. Can we stand together today? And we're going to pray for my mother while we're at it. <laughs> Mom, if you're watching, we're praying for you. Now, you talk about a changed woman. That's my mother. She made fun of me. She'll be the first to tell you. For years, her and my sisters mocked me, mocked my faith. Well, he goes from drugs to fanatical religion. That's the way they would do it. Seriously. And this went on every Christmas, every Thanksgiving. I had to listen to the jokes. Some of you are going through that now. In your families. And she would make fun. One night I'm preaching at a big house, a big church, great big church. And I gave the invitation. And I looked down and there's my little mother. And I forgot my mic was hot. Mother, what are you doing here? And there's tears going down her face. Seriously. She said, I need Jesus, Jeffrey. And so I was able to lead my mother to Christ. I said, how'd you even, amen. I said, how did you even know that I was preaching here? Because it was way in, in another town. And she said, somebody told me. And I just felt I need to get in my car and go. And she's totally transformed. I pray for you every day, Jeffrey. I pray for the ministry. I listen to you on the radio. Where'd he learn all that? I said, Mother, I've been doing this my whole life. You came late to the game. But she's saved. How many of you are glad for the transformation Jesus brings? Amen. Amen. So let's lift our hands to the Savior who changes us. Lord, help it to be our life. Whatever you say, that we would do it. Live it. Walk it out. Obey it. Don't compromise with it. 
trust it. And as we do, we see transformation. One thing becomes another. Things are not what they used to be. And it's the best. So I'm going to ask us to bow for a moment of prayer. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus? He's knocking, but have you opened the door? Seriously? Actually? Truly? Have you invited him into your life? Your struggles? Your temptations? To help you with them? Have you invited him into your relationships? Have you allowed him to do the picking and choosing for you? Are you seeking him for daily wisdom? Have you invited him in? Have you invited him into your offense? That he would grace you to forgive so the offense doesn't ruin your life? Have you invited him into that habit? To help you with that habit? To deliver you from that habit? Have you confessed it to him? Alcohol, drugs, pornography. If you said, Jesus, I'm so struggling with this. And it's bigger than me. But I invite you in. Please come into this issue and help me. I want to begin with, if you've ever let him into your heart, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've got a question mark about whether or not you've ever let Jesus into your heart, truthfully now, not in a religious way, but where water has become wine. There has been clear change, clear transformation. You're not the same and you're living according to what he taught. If that hasn't happened, I want to invite you to invite him. And I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And I invite you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me, Lord, and rose from the dead. And your shed blood covers my sin and washes it away. Forgive me, Lord, for all the sin in my life. I invite you, I open the door to you to come into my life, into my heart, and be my Savior and Lord. Now I want all of us, if we're dealing, if you're dealing with that problem, you're dealing with that issue, let's lift our hands and say, Jesus, I invite you in. I invite you into my marriage that's struggling. I invite you into my relationships. I invite you in to my finances. I invite you in. And whatever you say to me, I will do it. In Jesus' mighty name. If you say, Jeff, I prayed with you to receive Jesus into my heart. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, but I just want you to raise your hand and say, I prayed that with you. I prayed it with you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen.